Scott Walker. We're back on our Freedom Fighters podcast. Uh, so thankful that you're here leading up to Christmas. Hard to believe it's just a week away. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for having online purchasing ability because stores give me the creeps uh, in general, particularly during the Christmas season. Thankfully, my wife, Tonette, gets most of our gifts. I just got to make sure I find those for her well in advance. But uh, a little holiday cheer uh, certainly is a great thing. But one of the things we're, we're not in the holiday spirit appears when you go to our college campuses. I've been saying this for quite some time. It's part of the reason why I'm thrilled to be coming in as the new president of Young America's Foundation, YAF, Y-A-F dot O-R-G. You can get the details, particularly on the story we're going to be talking about today. I said our, our country is under siege. Now, we've been saying it for years in our college campuses. We see it now in our culture. Uh, it's timely because coming up uh, early next year in 2021, it'll be hard to believe this or not, but a decade since we first took on the battles that we saw in the state of Wisconsin, where you had over 100,000 protesters converge on our state capitol. I often like to say the Occupy movement did not start on Wall Street. It started on my street in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so I've been tested a few times by that. But, but sadly, we're seeing it all across America, and we're seeing it increasingly on our college campuses, uh, which is ironic because you got people like Joe Biden out there saying it's time to unite as a nation, and yet at the same time, you're seeing quite the contrary uh, from those on the radical left, uh, which is an increasing growing element, particularly on our college campuses, although certainly not uh, limited to that. It makes me think about, uh, again, back to 2011, uh, there was a feature that one of the Madison newspapers had every week where on their editorial page, they would show the bumper of a car and an interesting bumper sticker. And uh, the one that just said everything you need to know about cancel culture back then and even more about it today, one of the stickers was the coexist sticker, which is still around today. It's a timeless for many on the left to put the coexist with all the different religious symbols. And right next to it, literally right next to it, was a bumper sticker that said, Recall Scott Walker. So apparently it's okay to coexist if you agree with us, but if not, well, screw you. Uh, you can, uh, we're going to recall you. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to cancel you. And that's exactly what's happening on our camp college campuses. So uh, today I've got two of our great staff from YAF. Uh, both have been heavily engaged first in digging this up and, and getting to the source of what's happening at Cornell University. Uh, the other who has been really engaged in the follow-up and seeing what's been said and done since. Uh, but Kara Zupkis, I, I want you to talk to us a little bit, if you could, about what exactly is going on at Cornell and, and how did this all start? Yeah, it's absolute craziness what's going on up there. So essentially the student assembly there, which is the student government, um, had a resolution a few months ago to disarm campus police kind of in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and the alleged police brutality that was happening in America. And the bill failed um, to disarm campus police. It was a very close vote. It was about maybe a one-vote margin that the bill failed. Um, and as you can kind of imagine, the leftists were completely irate that it failed. There were alleging claims of racism, white privilege to anyone who voted against the bill. Um, and they attempted to recall all of the representatives who had voted against the bill simply out of spite because they were upset that they voted against it. Um, the recall petition, which was sent out to the full student body, failed miserably. No one wanted the senators removed. Um, they just kind of saw it as they had their own ideological opinions, and that was okay. 
Um, so once the recall petition failed, the senators who had sponsored the resolution originally basically went on a witch hunt. And they used and they bended all of these different rules to not only kick off one of the senators um, completely from the General Assembly, but also to remove three other of the senators from committee assignments, um, basically as retaliation saying, well, you disagree with us, here are the consequences. Um, it was absolutely crazy. And then they brought up the bill again, a second time, a little bit different, modified, and the bill ended up passing by a slim margin. Well, so, that's the interesting thing. So the so the original premise is they, they think we should just defund the police. This is obviously common. We've heard that from uh, political candidates. We've heard it from some involved with the squad and radicals. In fact, actually, it's interesting that uh, some of the House leadership has claimed that that's part of the reason why they lost so many seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, but apparently on college campuses they're oblivious to all this because this is happening even after all the chaos this summer, even after uh, even some of those very comments about uh, defunding the police not being a very positive thing for some of the candidates running at least to be a part of the House majority. So one, you've got complete disconnect from reality. Uh, even on a college campus, so one of the things I found uh, interesting that you guys revealed was was not just the nonsense and the craziness amongst the student body uh, or the student government, but that the student body as a whole, as you just said, actually didn't uh, buy into this idea that these people should be recalled. They really weren't either they weren't that bothered or they just didn't agree with it. So even on a college campus, it suggests uh, that this defund the police idea is not nearly. Uh, is, uh, there's not nearly as much as enthusiasm as, as some on the radical left think, right? Exactly. It's a very small minority that's kind of the loudest in the room, but they're definitely not representative of the entire student body. And you can see it in all of the recordings that we released on Twitter and on our website. I mean, some of these people in these student government meetings, like I was in disbelief. So I combed through about six to eight hours of different student government meeting footage, and I was just in disbelief at what I heard. There were people telling white students, their constituents, that they had to shut up because they were white and they couldn't be racist. Um, someone said, I want minority students to have their voices amplified before white people start talking. Other people said, police don't prevent bad things from happening to us. I was just in complete disbelief at um, honestly, it's this kind of ironic privilege that they were speaking from a lot of these students saying, oh, I've never had to use a gun, so why do the police need to be armed? Um, which I think is kind of hilarious and just falls back on their whole idea of privilege. Like, wow, you should be lucky you've never had to use a gun to defend yourself. That must mean you're in a pretty safe neighborhood or something like that. Um, and just because your situation, you've always kind of felt that the police are scary and you're scared of them. Like, that doesn't mean that for the whole and the general body of the student body that they shouldn't have police defending them and be armed. Yeah, one of the more obnoxious moments in those tapes that you delved into was when they told the police chief that, that uh, they, they really just, as you said, berated and accused them of wanting to feel powerful. That was the exact quote. To feel powerful is the only reason a police officer would carry a weapon. Try telling that to the widows and widowers of all the people listed over in the National Mall on the National Law Enforcement Memorial. I've been at those within the state of Wisconsin. The last thing a police officer wants to do is draw their weapon, but uh, they've been trained to do that only when that use of force is needed, necessary not only to protect their own lives, but more often than not. In fact, I remember Trevor Casper was uh, just in his first year, first day he was, uh, he was out operating on his own before that coming out of the academy. Uh, he had been uh, paired up with another state trooper on his very first day at the Fond du Lac station in the state of Wisconsin. Um, got a report of a guy who had shot and killed someone up in the northern Wisconsin near the Upper Peninsula, Michigan. 
came down, thought he was a threat, thought he had taken a hostage, pulled the firearm, uh, ended up killing that individual, uh, but at the same time that individual put a shot and that killed him. He was just in his mid-20s. And to me, that's just a prime example of those in law enforcement uh, really, literally, quite literally risking their lives to keep us safe. So anyone who's ever spent any time with law enforcement knows the last thing they want to do is draw their weapon. And yet these bozos on the student government uh, somehow think that, oh, yeah, they just want to be tough. They want to be uh, macho about it. Not at all the case. I also found it interesting uh, for all this talk at, and just to be clear, at YAF, you know, we've got a very diverse conferences. We've had that long before any of the talk uh, has been focused on that here. In fact, if you look back decades, uh, we've had some of our most popular uh, speakers represent a broad cross-section of, of not only uh, racial diversity, but, but other types of backgrounds. Uh, but we don't do that to force the issue. We do that because there's a broad spectrum of people out there, and, and we think that makes a lot of sense out there. But when the statement you said, I, I pointed out as well, I, said, I want them to like have their voices, which was interesting English there. I want them to like have their voices be amplified before white people start talking. It's one thing to say I want to make sure that minority students are heard. I think that's a legitimate thing to say. Let's make sure that everybody's heard. There may be some people who feel intimidated for whatever reasons about speaking up. They're not saying that. They're saying, no, if you're white, basically, shut up. You can't talk about this. You can't have an opinion about it. And if you do speak out, somehow you're racist about this. Uh, you listen again through these tapes. These are pretty amazing statements that these students, who are supposedly the leaders of the student government and the leaders of the future, are saying on the Cornell campus. We often call them here at YAF tyrants in training. I mean, these are going to eventually be the people leading Fortune 500 companies. They're going to be sitting in boardrooms. And for them to have this mentality and for Cornell administrators to sit back and not say anything, I think that's very concerning. I mean, I think the part of the reason that YAF published this story is to reform this, to call on Cornell's administration to stand up against this craziness. I mean, everyone that attends Cornell should be able to have a voice on these issues. It shouldn't be depending on the color of your skin, if you're allowed to have an opinion or not. That's insanity. Well, they either are going to be the business or civic leaders, or in some cases, they're going to be the agitators. One of the things that's been most amazing to me with the whole BLM moment, which again, what happened, and we've all talked about this, what happened in Minneapolis is totally wrong, need to be reformed. I would argue some of the reforms I did years ago in Wisconsin to weed out some of the bad public employees could be used elsewhere across the country. But that being said, uh, I, we've all, and you've exposed this very well, that uh, the Black Lives Move, Black Lives Matter movement is led by self-described Marxists. This, this is not about racial equality. This is about an aggressive Marxist agenda uh, that really runs counter to the founding principles of this great country. Uh, Kevin, Kevin McMahon is uh, also part of our great digital team here at uh, YAF. You've been following uh, what's been going on since uh, Kara broke this story, and it's kind of interesting to see what the reaction is. I'd like to uh, take what you just said about how this greater movement is really led by a bunch of fundamental Marxists and talk about one Cornell student in particular that really struck a chord with me who uh, said that this, this issue is not about equality whatsoever. It's about equity, which really is just straight from the playbook of Karl Marx. Um, I think a lot of the response to this story has been driven by the fact that these members of student government and even their supporters in the student body have never ever had to really have had their ideas be challenged by anybody. 
And so the second YAF actually puts a little bit of pressure, a little bit of light on their own statements, things they said in a public forum. Uh, they get really scared and they get really nervous and they really fall back on these uh, significant leftist principles. You know, we're seeing tons of students making the claim that uh, releasing a story is a violent attack on students of color at the university or that uh, white students or non-persons of color in the student body are not allowed to have an opinion or they can't share the, you know, their lived experiences because they don't suffer from these kind of threats. And we saw this recently at the University of Virginia too, a ton of parallels in these student governments uh, using bully tactics to make sure that certain ideas are not heard. And it is really disturbing when those bully tactics are along racial lines. It's really a devastating thing to see. Well, it's interesting. They don't get the whole concept of transparency. So transparency apparently is only something that works for those on the left. And if you can expose things that they disagree with or government fraud or abuse or things of that nature that, that they think is wrong, that's fine. But when you shine a light, and that's really what this is, this is just pulling this out of the darkness and letting everyone see. You're not, there's nowhere in this debate and discussion has anyone said, you've taken my words out of context. No one has said, oh, we didn't say that. Uh, what they're upset about is that once you see it in the day of light, once you see it fully exposed, it actually looks pretty ridiculous uh, and, and pretty amazing. It's counterintuitive. It's, it's why I always go back when I think about uh, this discussion, not just here today, but but in the last decade, any of these types of discussions, I go back to that bumper, the, the coexist and the recall, uh, that it says it all right there, that it's basically like, well, we claim we want to get along, we claim we want to work together, we claim we want this better community, this better campus, but if you disagree with this, forget about it. We're going to recall you, we're going to get rid of you, we're going to cancel you. That's really what cancel culture is all about. We're going to cancel your ability to even have a voice in the debate and the discussion. What other feedback have you been seeing in, in reaction to this story and this all that we've exposed here on campus? Well, it, it's quite funny. A big thing, like Kara mentioned, that we're looking for uh, at YAF from Cornell University is for the administration to make some sort of statement to kind of understand and talk about these really ridiculous, almost Soviet-like style tactics in order to get legislation that they're interested in passed. Um, but we've seen students from Cornell and students in the student government at Cornell doing the same thing, but from the other side. They want the uh, administration to condemn YAF's reporting on this. They want the administration to come out and uh, do even more coddling of minority students on their campuses. They're worried that the university isn't doing enough, but from the completely other side of this issue. Well, and that's a great reminder for everyone listening here today that not only on the Cornell campus, but, you know, we saw the signs back early in the year, silence is complicit, uh, which I think is true when it came to the George Floyd case. The interesting thing that I think has been glossed over is there wasn't silence about that. People all across America, across ideological lines, denounced what happened in that case in, in Minnesota. And, and obviously the, the law enforcement officer who was involved is no longer a police officer and actually uh, facing criminal charges because of that. Um, so it's interesting. On one hand, there wasn't silence. People across America, in fact, Tim Scott uh, would tell you with great frustration that uh, he'd been working on uh, law enforcement reform for years um, and some would argue it was just because some of his colleagues didn't want to uh, see action during election year, instead wanted to use that as an issue. But set that issue aside, I, I think you can almost apply that same slogan to this situation here, that silence is complicit. Uh, when the student body, as Kara, as you said, had a chance to vote on whether or not they wanted to go forward with this nonsense, they didn't side with the radical liberal 
uh, student body government leadership. Uh, they just didn't see it as a big deal. But now, if people don't step up and if the administration doesn't step up, uh, the left is just trying to bully themselves into their position. That goes back here to something you had said earlier about some of these people could very well be our, you know, the leaders of corporate America, of government, of, uh, of some of our leading organizations. Well, in some ways, I worry even more, not necessarily that they'll be the leaders, but that the people who will be the leaders are going to be so intimidated from these folks who are going to be out being professional agitators uh, that, that they'll cave in. We saw it with the BLM movement uh, with many in corporate America. We've certainly seen it in sports uh, where, my goodness, it was okay to talk about equality, Black Lives Matter, but hey, if somebody wanted to say free Hong Kong, uh, absolutely couldn't do that. Where <laughs> I think it's pretty fundamentally clear that what the Chinese Communist Party is doing is outrageous and, and puts us in a whole new league when it comes to the evil empire. So it, it's just amazing to see the hypocrisy and inconsistency amongst those on the radical left in America today. And the warning, I think, to everybody listening here would be, yeah, you might dismiss it as being as a college campus, but the things we've been pointing out for years on college campuses, how far the radical left has creeped in, not just from left-wing professors, but increasingly, as we see with this story, with activists on campus, that's just uh, really a foreshadowing of what's creeping into our culture as a whole across society. And we can't just write it off as a bunch of crazy college students. Uh, it could be happening in your community coming up next. I completely agree. I noticed that when I was on campus four or five years ago at the University of Virginia, uh, I dealt with radicals on campus. But I have to say, the stories that we have been seeing lately, is so, they're so much worse than, than the stuff that I experienced as an activist in CARA. Maybe you'd be able to echo the same, the same ideas. But if it, this, the, 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 the climate on college campuses continues to cycle into a downward spiral where the left gets further and further radical, and we're going to have an even bigger problem on our hands in America, and it's something that needs to be dealt with now. And that's really what the cancel culture is all about, right? I mean, that's they're not just trying to win the day when it comes to the battle. They're trying to wipe the opposition out, not just politically, but wipe out the ability to even talk about it. And you found that not only with this story, but plenty of others you've covered, right, Kara? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the main central problem here is that these leftists have never been told no in their life. They're used to getting exactly what they want. They cry to administrators about racism, sexism, homophobia, all of the isms, um, and the administrators cave. I mean, they bend a knee to the mob because they don't want to be labeled all of those awful things. And I think that shows just how cowardly these administrators are, that they're so scared to even take a stance for common sense um, in these administrations and in these student bodies. It's just insane that they would let these tyrants basically run the colleges themselves. Well, that's why it's so important for Young America's Foundation, for YAF and other organizations like that, others that we partner with and parallel with, uh, to let students know uh, who aren't radical, who aren't a part of this nonsense, that they're not alone, uh, that they may not appear to be on the surface, uh, the majority of the students, and they might not, we may not have the majority, but, but at least to let them know that there are people who are like-minded, who share their views, and who want to tell that story, and that I think there is a majority uh, whether or not they're ideologically aligned, a majority that believe that free speech should still be something that, well, the Constitution guarantees it, but of all places, it should be revered on our college campuses instead of being under assault, as we see time and time again. It is a warning, though, for the rest of America. Uh, no matter what age you are, uh, no matter whether it's a long time ago or just a few years ago, it's been on a college campus. 
what we see happening on our campuses is a precursor uh, to what's going to happen in our culture and in our government all across this country. I'll just end with this. In contrast, though, it, it, as we creep further and further, not just to a radical left position, but to a position where that's the only position that's heard. Uh, I know a few weeks ago when we had students in for a conference, uh, it was interesting as we talked about, in fact, I encouraged uh, the students at the conference to go find people who had legally immigrated into America, particularly those running small businesses, because there's nobody that loves this country more than them. Uh, and I remember after telling that story, a number of the students that came up later and said, hey, one said I was from Venezuela, uh, a couple said I was from Latin America, some came from the old Soviet bloc countries, uh, and even one said they came from Hong Kong. Uh, every one of them said, hey, you were talking about me, that's my family story. My parents, my grandparents, they love America. And the reason they do is because they know, they've experienced what it's like to live uh, in a Marxist society, in a country driven by socialism, where not only are the, the choices they make bad, Cuba is an example. I, I love pointing out Cuba's minimum wage right now is $17. Not per hour, not per day, not per week. It's $17 per month. Uh, and so if you don't remember anything else to remember that that's where these policies ultimately lead to. And that's what happens in a society where not only do they have bad policies, but where they really block out anyone else uh, from trying to provide an alternative viewpoint uh, in that society. And that's what we're fighting to protect. It's all about fighting to protect freedom. So until next time, uh, Merry Christmas uh, as you get ready next week. And uh, until next time, Scott Walker here. Keep fighting for freedom.